old person singing that song. All right. I want to make sure I get that one right. Well, take out your Bibles, if you would, with me, and uh, turn to two places, John chapter 17, John 17, and Philippians chapter 4. John 17, Philippians chapter 4. We've been talking this month and looking at when Jesus gave thanks. When Jesus gave thanks. I want to talk today, uh, in fact, my title would be With Thanksgiving. Now remember, Thanksgiving is not a day. (laughs) It's not Thursday. Thanksgiving is a lifestyle that we see in the Bible. We need to give thanks. So I do want to stop before we go, and I want to pray, and that we don't lose heart or mind with all of the families that are in Thousand Oaks, all of the families that are in Malibu that have have homes uh, that have been destroyed and, and situations that look destructive. We'll have something to communicate shortly in a week or two how we as a church can also reach out. But Michelle and I, two months ago, were at a day and a half conference with a pastor that ended up getting elected to the Thousand, he was a, he's now the Thousand Oaks mayor. So he was actually uh, that next morning in the bar where the shooting took place and was with families. And so uh, we've heard from other Foursquare churches, but again, I want to stop and pray because many times we hear of these events and we forget that people still need hope. People still need our prayers. People need us being able to reach out how we can reach out. So Lord, we stop today. Uh, All of us probably know of somebody or, or a church or somebody in that whole area, but we stop and when we're told what, what we don't know how to pray, we're to pray in the Spirit. But Lord, we pray over that whole area that, Lord, your peace, your comfort comes. We thank you for every church, for every ministry, Lord, for everybody that is reaching out and providing help to all of those families. Lord, we understand here in California, this has been devastating all up through our state. But Lord, we pray that you're there on the front line. You're there to comfort. You're there to give hope. And Father, let us not be forgetful people. Let us be people that pray. And as the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. And we do those things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You know, there was a little boy. He asked his family if they could celebrate Thanksgiving after Christmas. So his parents were a little puzzled. And they said, well, why would you want to do that? He says, I'll be more thankful after Christmas because of all the gifts that you're going to get me. (laughs) Now, I say that to say this. We become thankful typically after something happens. But Jesus modeled for us to give thanks first. In fact, we looked at that a little bit last week and the week before Before Jesus multiplied the little boy's lunch, he stopped and he gave thanks to the Father. Before Jesus called out Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days, he stopped and he thanked his Father. What a great example to all of those disciples around him too. We also saw that before the Last Supper, before he actually talked about a time of communion and to remember him by, he stopped and he gave thanks For the bread that was an example of his broken body. He thanked God for his broken body that was broken for us. 
Before the cup was ever sipped upon, he gave thanks for the cup. But the cup represented his blood that would be poured out to, co to cover, not just cover sin, but so that we could come to the Father and confess our sin and be forgiven. So he models those things first. But we've been taught and trained that we give thanks after. But it needs to be something that we do first and foremost. So I want to look today um, that Jesus, in the midst of probably the worst time, the pre-cross part, prayed for you. Have you ever gone through a really, really, really difficult time? Do you pray for other people? Or do you pray for yourself? Many times we think of ourselves. You know, uh, nowadays we can find out, you know, there's, there's certain people, they're always on social media. And you know they're going through something in their life because then they went off social media. You know, they kind of go dark and then you kind of find out they're going through something. Or if you talk to somebody, if they binge watch several shows for hours upon hours, and then they'll finally tell you they've been depressed. So they just sat behind and watched the show over and over and over and over again. But many times when we go through certain things, the last thing we think of is to go out and bless somebody or to thank somebody. We have a tendency to think of ourselves, which Jesus would have been uh, fully, uh, we would have probably said, that's fine because of what you're going through. But I want to look at his prayer for you today. And that's found in John 17. Let me get there. His prayer for you in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember, Jesus was always giving thanks to the Father, had the Father on his mind, only did and said what the Father told him. He acted and prayed and got alone with the Father, made sure that was his most important time. He always was connected to his Father. Before those miracles that we talked about, he stopped and he thanked his Father. And you know what? If we never read that Jesus gave thanks to the Father, we probably would be fine with that. Because he's God. He didn't need to thank himself. Do you ever thank yourself? Hey, thank you. Well, Jesus did a great job. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you, to thank you, to thank you. Now, that would be weird, wouldn't it? That would be weird. We always thank somebody for something. So let's look at Jesus' prayer in John 17. I want to look at verse 20 through 26. Earlier, he prays for his disciples. But now the shift takes place where he prays for you. In fact, if you have your Bible writing notes, you should really write your name in there because he's praying for you. Amen. You were on his mind in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want to read this. He says, I do not pray for these alone, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Let me read that last part again. 23 is so powerful that the world may know that you 
have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Isn't that powerful to think God's love was so much for you that he sent his son for you in your place. And Jesus is praying that I want them to know what you did because you loved them so much. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I have declared to them your name, and will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them as I am in them. You know what Jesus is concerned with as he prays for us? It's our relationship through him and the Father. That's his prayer. He is praying for that relationship that you have. That's on his heart. And here's what we so easily forget. He is now... Uh, getting ready to enter into the most painful physical and spiritual battle of his entire life. In fact, the Bible reads on in a couple other of uh, the Gospels, Luke 22, verse 43 and 45, says this, that an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. You know, we read another time, and it was when an angel came in to strengthen Jesus, and it's found in the book of Matthew, and it's found right after the fasting that he did out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible says that an angel came and ministered to him. Well, we get a little example in the beginning of Hebrews that that's what angels do. They come to minister. We don't know if the angel said anything. We don't know if the physical presence of that angel strengthened him. But right out his most difficult second time in his life, an angel is there to minister to him. He is under so much pressure that his blood vessels around his sweat glands are bursting and his sweat is blood. Think about that. You and I have been through some tough things before, but let me tell you, you know, we'll, we'll say things like, man, I was really sweating it. Have you ever said that before? I was really sweating it. But I doubt you've sweated blood. Boy, I was really sweating today and I was bleeding all over the place. No, we don't ever say that. Jesus was. Because that spiritual heaviness was now coming upon him about sacrificing his body. The weight of what he was to, about to go through. And here's what Jesus knew that many times we don't ever see in our own life. He knew exactly every single detail of what he was about to go through. He knew every prophetic word in Isaiah. He knew everything that was mentioned in Psalms. He knew that it was prophesied that he'd be the man of sorrows. He knew that he would be disfigured beyond recognition. He knew that the stripes that would come upon him, his back would be, uh, they would have metal and glass and pieces in there to rip his flesh. But he knew that by his stripes, you would be healed. 
He knew every single detail he, before he ever was to enter it. And notice what happens. He's sweating blood. And then he goes to get some help from his disciples. And what are they doing? And then the Bible says they're asleep from sorrow. What sorrow is that when they're asleep? They're not sweating blood. You don't, usually if you're upset, that you're not sleeping, you're awake. You're mad or you're uh, overcome with something. They're asleep, the Bible says, because of sorrow. There's no sorrow. Well, they, they don't really understand what's about to take place. Jesus was just wanting them with him to pray because he was entering a time that was going to be the most physically challenging, spiritually challenging time. But he did it because the Bible says in Hebrews 12, we've been reading it all, there was a joy that was set before him. And it wasn't just that he'd be reunited with the Father. He would have you. You were his joy. Look at your neighbor and say, you are Jesus's joy. You are Jesus's joy. And he prayed for you at his most agonizing time that there would be such a deep connection with you and his father through him. Isn't that powerful? Praying, praying for you. Well, I want to pick this up here again in uh, Philippians chapter 4. In fact, if you'll turn there with me. Because as we see Jesus earlier on giving thanks first, as we see Jesus going through a difficult time, we also notice that through a difficult time he's praying for us. And the Apostle Paul is going to pick this very same part up that he's also caring for the church that he's writing to. In fact, if you've ever read the book of Philippians before, it's four chapters. It's really a thank you letter to the church of Philippi. Paul had been incarcerated. In fact, we know before he's been placed in a dungeon. And it's not just some bottom cave somewhere. It's actually connected to the sewer systems of the city. So it's one thing to be cast down into a dungeon. It's another thing to be uh, sat next to a sewer. And some Bible scholars felt like at very certain periods of time that that would fill up to where the people would have to move out of the way because of the sewage. But this church has sent some financial support. So now Paul's not in a dungeon. Paul is chained, but he's in house arrest. And he's chained to a guard 24 hours a day. Now think about the Apostle Paul for a minute. He's a church planter. And he's chained down. Have you ever chained a dog before? Do they like it? Or dogs like, hey, put me on the chain. Put me on the chain. They hate the chain. They want to be free. You know, we had when we lived in North Carolina, we had a little Boston Terrier, and she, she was only 12 pounds. She was the fastest dog. In fact, I think she could have been in those Greyhound races. She was super fast. If she got out, you couldn't catch her. You had to go get the neighbor's dog. And uh, we didn't put a fence up, but she wanted to be outside. And we had this little 12-pound dog on this huge chain. Let me tell you, this dog was tough. This dog killed two possums. But, she, but the moment you let her off the chain, boy, she was free, right? Because nobody wants to be chained. Do you think the Apostle Paul... Wanted to be chained? I thank God for my chains today. I didn't want to go out anywhere anyways. I like my soldier. He seems like a nice guy. No, that's a tough situation that he's in. 
He wants to be out planting churches. He wants to be in all the churches. He wants to do all the things. He's now held back and can't do it. But he writes this letter and he doesn't talk about himself. He's writing to this church. In fact, I love what he says here. And this is what I want to read today in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Here's what he starts with here. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's say that together. Ready? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, Paul isn't faking it. He's not making it up. He's not trying to, to, to write something that will be captured. This is coming from his heart, from the Holy Spirit, to the pencil or pen that he's got with a chain around it. And he's telling this church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Kind of like that exclamation point, isn't it? So you're going to rejoice in the Lord always, and then you're going to rejoice again, right? So rejoice, rejoice. Well, then he goes on and he says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Everybody say everything. Everything covers what? Everything. But by everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on those things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the peace of God will be with you. Here he ends with peace again. And the peace of God will be with you. Notice in verse 7 he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard, notice it's two things, heart and mind. Jesus prayed that we would be one through him to the Father. Yet in the, in the middle of the garden, his heart and his mind are connected to his Father. Yes, he did say, Father, if there's any other way, if you can let this cup pass. You know, and he caught himself. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. We need to catch ourselves. Allow that peace to guard our heart and our mind. Well, I want to look at, I want to read this out of the New Century Version, Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It says, be full of joy in the Lord always. I will say again, be full of joy. Let everyone see that you are gentle and kind. Notice what it says, the Lord is coming soon. How many of us woke up today? Wondering if today was the day the Lord was coming. How many times have we not even thought about it? I like what he mentioned that. The Lord is coming soon. Do not worry about anything, 
But pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. And God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. And God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. Think about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. Do what you've learned and received from me, what I told you and what you saw me do, and the God who gives you peace will be with you. Now, it's one thing to write this if the Apostle Paul is sitting at the Mediterranean Cafe, right? And he's writing his partners or his churches and just, oh, and the peace of God. As I look out today at the Mediterranean Sea, as I'm having my cappuccino today, I'm thinking of you all. No, he's chained. He's not able to do what he needs to do. But that didn't limit, limit him for what he needed to do. And what he needed to do was right, and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. We're actually reading it today, and he's reminding us of a few things. And I wanted to look at verse uh, 6 here, the first part. He says, be anxious for what? For nothing. Have you ever woken up first thing in the morning, and all of a sudden it's almost like a race of thoughts of all of the things you have to do for the day? you're trying to figure out how all it is to get done. And before you even hit the floor, you're stressed out. And you got to have extra coffee in the morning because you're so stressed out. And possibly later in that day when you've written everything down and you start everything, you feel better. You know, we can tend to do that to ourselves. But the Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing. In fact, Paul is chained up and he says this, be anxious for nothing. Tell your neighbor, be anxious for nothing. Tell them that. Be anxious for nothing. You know, the the Greek word anxious is the word worry. Right? So he's saying, don't worry about it. That's the Greek word. It's the word worry. In fact, the Greek word means to be pulled in different directions. How many of you know that doesn't even sound like it feels good? Being pulled, worry pulls you in different directions. In fact, one of the old English root words of the word worry means to strangle. So there's nobody that would sign up today to be strangled after service. So the last thing we want to be caught up with is being strangled or pulled apart. But we read that in this language that to be anxious for nothing, don't worry. Don't fall into being pulled in different directions. Don't get strangled. In fact, has worry ever made you feel strangled? Have you ever wrestled? Any of you ever wrestle? you ever wrestled somebody and they get their arm around your neck? And what are they trying to do? Trying to put you to sleep. You know, it doesn't take long to do that if they know what they're doing. Worry has that ability to strangle you. In fact, we could use the word worry can put you in a place where you feel trapped. Worry can put you in a place where you feel paralyzed, that you can't do anything. But Paul is telling us, hey, um, there's a physical issue that happens with worry. It's you can feel strangled. In fact, you know, one of the, the word worry, if we break it down a little bit more, it's associated physically with headaches, neck pain. Has anybody been so worried? You ever felt like your neck? 
oh, I need to go to the chiropractor. Well, that's not the problem. You're worried. Ulcers, back pain, worry can affect your thinking, your creativity. It can affect your coordination, and it affects people's digestion. We want worry out because of all of its effects. In fact, from a spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking. In fact, we're reading as we read through the scriptures, it affects the mind and it affects our heart. We start worrying about circumstances. We start worrying about things. We start worrying about Monday morning. We start worrying about later this month. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves where we're strangled, paralyzed, and not willing to do anything about it. And we've got to learn to understand and step into the peace of God that Paul begins to write about that he's experiencing even being locked up. The peace that Jesus understood even in the midst of the garden and what he went through, he understood because he stayed connected with his father. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in here. Rejoice in the Lord always. I don't care if I'm chained up. I don't care if I have to have this guy walk me to the bathroom. I rejoice in the Lord today and I'm going to rejoice some more. Because worry is an inside job. We don't see it on ourselves. As I've been telling you, somewhere in my phone update, uh, every week it lets me know my screen time. Bloop, pops right up. You had one hour and whatever day today, you're down 14%. That's pretty scary. I wish our Bibles had that connected to it. Boom, oh, right? And shocked you so you read your Bible. No, I wouldn't do that to you. But worry is inside. We don't see it many times. People don't catch it. But we can catch it. And that's where we have to say, am I sensing God's peace? Or am I allowing this worry to take over? Is it controlling my thoughts? Is it controlling my hearts? Because Paul says the greatest protection over your life is this in verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. I don't know how it all works. He said, it surpasses our understanding, but it will guard your heart, and it will guard your mind. We've got to tap into that peace. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why we take him every circumstance, everything. We take it to him so that he can guard our hearts and mind. And then quickly, the Apostle Paul goes through three things, and he talks about praying he talks, talks about supplication, which is a word we don't use. But then he talks about thanksgiving. And he wants to remind us, if we find ourselves worrying, the first thing we need to do is get alone with God. Jesus, the disciples can't find him in the morning. And they finally find him. Well, he's been out praying. And they're upset with him. Where have you been? People are looking for you. But he understood in order to minister to all of the people that he had to be alone with his father. So important in our day. If worry seems to be grabbing a hold of us, let me ask you that question. When's the last time you've been alone with the father? When's the last time you've gone into your room and shut the door and put worship music on? Well, I drive on the freeway and I have my worship music on. Yeah, but you can't close your eyes. <laughs> so important that the first time when we sense it that we get alone and we're with God. He's big enough to solve our problems. He'll give us the insight. 
He'll give us the wisdom, but we've got to get alone with him. I love that word, even though when we look up the word supplication, it's sharing our needs and our problems. Jesus in the garden, in the midst of of one of the hardest, hardest times that he's getting ready to enter into physically, wanted to be with who? His disciples. But they were asleep. You and I were made for fellowship. You and I were made for connections. That's what Jesus prayed. I pray that they're one in me, that they're connected. Don't let it ever be under you to call somebody to let them know what you're going through. I'm strong enough, I don't need to tell anybody. That's the worst advice you could ever have. I always say this, I get to be married to the human Holy Spirit that sees things in my life that I don't see. She just glared at me. I'm going to step on this side. There are people that God places in our life that when we're going through things, reach out. It's so important. And then he'll end it with this, thanksgiving. I like it. He's almost saying, thanks, ask, and thanks some more. Let our thanksgiving, I love it in 1 Thessalonians, where he says that again, rejoice in the Lord, and, um, and in everything give thanks. Thanks is not set aside for November, everybody. Thanks is part of our daily life that we live, our daily walk with the Lord. Do you know, there was a study done on worry that says 8% of the things that you really worry about uh, are, are valid. The other 92% are usually imaginary. But we can allow those things to overtake us. But Paul, Jesus, want us to remember that there's a peace found when we walk with him. There's a peace found when we fix our eyes on him. And one of the last things that Jesus does say to his disciples is in John 14, 26. He says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And let your heart not be troubled or be afraid. Peace isn't a word that we, we talk about in December. You know, it's peace, hope, joy, love, jingle, whatever it is. It's a word daily in our life. It's understanding the peace of God. Jesus understood the peace and the power of God. Paul understood the peace and the power of God. Both of them understood the power of giving God thanks first and all the time so that we can enter that peace that they talk about. Bow your heads if you would with me today. Be full of the joy of the Lord always. I will say again, be full of joy. Don't worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. So Lord, as we come today, we thank you ahead of time. Let the word thanks Never be just a word that we blurt out as a a habit or just an idle word. Let it be a word rooted in our heart that we start out giving thanks. Through our day, we give thanks. We end our day with giving thanks. But Lord, I pray that you give all of us the insight into stepping into the peace 
of God. The peace that we're told surpasses all understanding. And Lord, we would receive that today. Lord, I pray any situation that any one of us may be facing, we thank you today. We won't allow worry to grab a hold, to strangle, to twist and to turn. But God, we're going to be anxious for nothing because in everything we give you thanks and we do it first. Lord, we thank you for our lives today. Lord, we thank you for our jobs. We thank you for our vehicles that you provided for us. We thank you for our families and our children that they're being taught of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for our church family that we're all one because of you. We thank you for the things that you're doing in our Monday morning because we remember in all things to give you thanks. We bless you this day. Lord, let us inventory those things that you've done in our past and you're constantly doing in our life because we give you thanks. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you want to ask him into your heart. Let's all pray this prayer together. Would you just repeat after me? Dear Lord, I believe in Jesus, and I believe that he lived, and that he died for me. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Thank you for bringing me into your family. In Jesus' name. If you would stand with me as we close today. If you prayed that prayer or you even prayed it as a prayer to say, man, I'm coming back to the Lord. We'd love to pray with you uh, at the end of service. But we're going to close with this one song. And again, don't think of the food waiting for you next door. Think of your thanksgiving to God. Think of a new peace that you need to step into even today. Let's worship the Lord together. Hired me to stay focused on the fact that God had me covered. I had a procedure done on Wednesday that I was so entirely nervous about. And it wasn't like, you know, no biopsies, nothing like that. It was just, I had to get scoped. They had to go up through the nose and down into the throat. And I was a nervous wreck, to say it mildly. I had called the doctor two weeks prior and I had requested for a prescription for something to just calm my nerves to have this procedure done. And they told me no. I said, no. I said, do you understand? I'm not asking for a bottle of pills. I'm asking for one, just one pill for that day to do the procedure. And they said, no. I thought, who in the world do these people think they are? I said, you need to go back and ask the doctor, because it was the nurse practitioner that called me. I said, I need you to go back and ask the doctor for this again. And she said, ma'am, I've already asked. I said, I need you to go back and ask a second time. And if he says no, I want you to ask him, then what exactly does he want me to do? And she called back and said the same thing. No. 
I thought, what in the world am I going to do? What do you mean, what in the world am I going to do? I know what to do. Are you kidding me, Michelle? You know what to do. So at that point, I thought, well, let's just get my prayer, my prayer tribe going on this. So I sent out a few text messages, and I said, I need you to pray. I'm having this done. I am not concerned about the results at all. It's the procedure <laughs> that has me a nervous wreck. I also asked Walt to go with me because he is outside of Jesus. He is my strong tower. Strong tower number two. And he went with me. And do you know, I prayed before going in there. I prayed sitting in the chair. I prayed in the spirit sitting in the chair. The doctor was wonderful. It went off like nothing. Everything was perfectly fine. And here's the lesson learned and the Lord reminded me this morning. Michelle, you know the first thing to do. What's the first thing? Prayer. With a heart of thanksgiving, Lord, you've got this thing covered. And you get your prayer tribe if, ne if necessary. And you get whoever else is a strong tower in your life. And you thank the Lord. And if that doctor don't want to give you anything, <laughs> you know what to do. Amen. God is good and he's got us. He's got us covered. And when the scripture says he guards our heart and mind, I looked up what that guard meant. And it's a military term for, have, for having us kept. It is if he has a sentinel, a century around us. He's got you covered. So as you go into this week, as you go into Thanksgiving week, if you need that army around you to keep you, I encourage you, lean in. Lean in and with thankfulness, thank the Lord that God is so faithful and good on your behalf. Amen? Well, today we have Thanksgiving as a family together. And I want to encourage you to come next door, sit together. Let's dine with thankful hearts. And I would like to pray before we go over for our food. But if you need prayer at the end of service, please come forward. We would love to pray with you. And if you need to pick up community lunch sacks, pick them up. And don't forget this wonderful display of food. If you would like to fill your pantry or your Thanksgiving table, please come up and grab some. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this house of believers. I thank you for this family that has gathered to worship not only together, but to thank you for your goodness. And Lord, as we prepare to receive Thanksgiving together, a Thanksgiving meal, Lord, we thank you first. Thank you. Thank you for your provision in our lives. And thank you for the provision on the table that will be before us. Bless our bread and water. Take sickness and disease from us and give us long life. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.